Discuss, part five of our Rooted series. This week, Jonathan, Anna, and Josh continue our discussion on every member mission. Enjoy. Welcome to Neighborhood Table. We've taken out the music. We've taken out some of the liturgical pieces and prayers. You can find them on table radio if you want in, in various ways. But otherwise, this is mostly just a discussion help for the Neighborhood Tables to use in their online and local gatherings. So we're going to discuss what we talked about last week. We started our seventh episode of our Rooted series as kind of the final conclusion, and it's focused on uh, every member mission, meaning that everyone has a job and a purpose, and everyone's going in the same direction in the Christian community. That's sort of the ideal, and that's one of our core longings and sort of rooted commitments here that come out of the scriptures. So last week, I decided instead of going straight to the charisma bit and the gifting that we start to, the the scriptures themselves point us first to character. And we went back to the Old Testament into Isaiah chapter 6, where we have the call of Isaiah, and it seemed a bit of a template for the Christian life in general and how we respond to God. And there is four woes. So let me get this right. We were joking, if you're around our age and are <laughs> We're 40s, showing our age a so lot. What is it? <laughs> what were you thinking? Joey Lawrence. Joey Lawrence or Keanu Reeves. Or Keanu Reeves. Yep. Neither one of those, though it, it is multi-purpose, this sort of response, this whoa, whoa. Okay, the first one was Isaiah sees God in his splendor and his glory. And so he says, whoa, like amazing. God is so great. And then as the scene progresses, then he realizes, in contrast to this great God, woe is me. I am not great. I am inadequate. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm not holy. I'm not good. I'm inadequate. And then the scene where, where God sends his seraphim to cleanse Isaiah's lips, and there's atonement bringing peace between God, closing this gap between a good and great God and an and an inadequate human. So there's a whoa, and then a whoa, and then the next one is a wow, because Isaiah is present at a discussion God is having with other people in the heavenly boardroom about who can we send, and then he says, send me. Wow, this is a great opportunity. And then what comes is a little bit of an anticlimax because it's not the super fun thing. It has a hard edge And if I was going to say it differently than I did last week, it has sort of a cruciform element of sacrifice and burden and sort of some great difficulty for Isaiah himself. And so he says, whoa, how long (laughs) should I do this for? God says, well, just keep going until I tell you otherwise, basically. So I think that sums up the four woes. Yep. Right? And then... Any remarks or thoughts to that? Well, Jonathan was bringing in uh, something with John chapter 20 in relation to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what not everybody knows is originally we had talked about me preaching on this subject. And then when we started talking about it, Josh started feeding me all these things. I'm like, it sounds like you have a lot on your heart <laughs> that you'd like to share. Maybe you should be the one to share it. So, so Josh ended up preaching. But 
I was already thinking about looking at John 20 because we talked about it a bit in our at the Peninsula neighborhood table. Um, and it is interesting. I don't know if you know this either, but it seems like we've sort of been in step in a number of ways over the last few months where we're thinking about the same things without discussing them. So an example of that is when you preached on the garden stuff, I'd already prepared half of my Easter sermon, which was all about garden stuff, um, which ended up being great. Then I, I was able to incorporate a lot of it into the talk as well. But it follows the same pattern as what you shared in Isaiah, uh, even the John chapter 20, uh, just like starting off with why we need God and going back to the garden, he created us in his image. And that gave us the power to create, the ability to create. And then we thought pretty highly of ourselves and that we didn't need God, that we could be our own gods, basically. And so this led to sin entering the world as we you know, sought autonomy, tried to separate ourselves from God. And the consequence of this is, is that we did. And uh, we were expelled from the garden. It leads to toil in the wilderness, as well as death and suffering, and, and leads us back into the dirt. And that's kind of this whole, there's a contrast between humanity thinking we don't need God and what we see in Isaiah when he's, he comes into God's presence he was, as you said, a holy man, and yet in the presence of God, his white t-shirt was actually quite stained and perhaps beige, and he says, woe is me, I'm unclean and lost. Um, so that's why we need God, What we, we are unclean and lost. And then what did God do? Um, he, uh, he sent his son, right? Um, because he loves us, that we may be have a way back to him. He sent Jesus to fight on our behalf, to be an example to us of the perfect image of what we were created to be of this perfect white t-shirt or whatever it is to die in our place. Um, and to conquer death by, by, you know, his resurrection so that we don't need to die. We don't need to go back in the dirt, but we live with him again. Um, and then we come to John 20, which again, Isaiah we we have this call, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am. So if we look at John 20, uh, Jesus, the risen Jesus appears to his disciples. That We're told the doors are locked, he gets in, but John wants to make it clear he's not a ghost. Uh, we have a similar thing happen with Peter, you know, in Acts, he gets in through locked doors. It doesn't mean that Jesus is just appearing as a ghost and he shows them his hands and feet. And he greets them with what we... Uh, the words we use in our services a lot, the sign of the peace, peace be with you. Um, and I think that's important as we talked about delighting with being in his presence. Uh, in his presence, you can find this peace. And then Jesus says to them, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So this is John's version of the Great Commission, where the one who was sent, God sent his son, now he's sending his followers, and he's commissioning them to serve as his messengers, to share the good news of what he's done, as well as his representatives, to be, you know, do our best to walk in his footsteps, to be in his image, uh, to share this peace that he's given and his love with each other and those around us. Um, so that's why we sing songs like, you know, we want to be his hands and be his feet. But as I was mentioning earlier today, the thing about this passage is you see when he shows his hands and feet, they're pierced. Um, 
you know, there's pain and suffering that led to being able to acquire that peace. Uh, and, and so, as you were talking about last week, we sometimes sense that discomfort and it leads us to ask, it doesn't feel like God's presence and peace, it feels like his absence, and where are you? Um, and then he answers that question in here. As, as Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the presence of God in your lives. And again, there's some confusion. Is this just another version of Pentecost? I, I don't think so. I think this is sort of a, a foretaste of what was to come. We see the Holy Spirit was around and active before Pentecost. But in this instance, he, he is um, giving them a foretaste of the promise of his presence through the Holy Spirit uh, alongside this commission. So that's what perhaps we'll get into further in the next few weeks is that with the Holy Spirit, we are given gifts, charismas, all kinds of things, uh, superpowers, as you've called them in the past, gifts, roles, wirings. And um, so you see it all here, and it does tie in. We're called just like Isaiah was called. Uh, Jesus calls all of his followers now to send them out. We realize we're unworthy, but... Because of Jesus, we are forgiven and made clean, and it can be a painful process uh, to be refined through fire, um, but we, we're also given a helper, and I think that's sort of the next thing to talk about as we move forward in this is, yeah, the gifting of the Spirit. Yeah, I actually am struck between Isaiah 6 and John 20. There's there's a number of parallels, mm-hmm. and initially when when both the disciples and Isaiah are faced with God and the reality. So Jesus appears in the room, God appears to Isaiah, and immediately contrasted with their acknowledgement of how miraculous and incredible God is, they look upon their own wretchedness. And so specifically, like in John 20, Thomas says, no, (laughs) I reject this news. I reject this. Isaiah says, woe to me. Like, I'm unclean. What am I going to do? And the disciples are filled with fear. And it's interesting how as great as we can see that God is and agree that he is, our response to that is to see ourselves as insignificant or incapable or, um, you know, there's a number of things that disqualify us from being able to participate with God in his mission. And uh, it's it's interesting when you see those parallel responses. And it makes me wonder, how do we respond to God's presence and saving action in our lives? You know, do we see ourselves as people that could join with him, or do we see ourselves as people who are not worthy to be in his presence or that we have nothing to contribute? Do you know what I mean? Um, and how do we how do we temper that response? How do we move forward from that place of disqualification? Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that a lot as pursuing a sense of calling to ministry and there was with this sense of unworthiness you know and, and I'm writing about that when they you know on papers and things and and then I read something a friend wrote about on the day of his ordination he was battling with the sense of unworthiness and his wife said to him what does this have to do with you being worthy you're not the one it's it's God who has made you worthy and, and is going to be working through you. It's, it's not about you mm-hmm. or that. And it's interesting how in the case of both Isaiah and Thomas and the disciples at large, 
you know, Jesus kind of stewards them through that process, right? Like he takes them through all the hurdles that they feel or the disqualifications that they might acknowledge because he, he's wanting to partner with them. He's wanting to be present to them. And so he sort of, he sort of walks them through kind of a reconciliation with themselves and with him so that, so that they can accept the gift of the spirit so that they can be empowered um, to be able to be a part of God's mission in the world. Hmm. Yeah, it is accepting what, what Jesus has done for you and sort of, yeah, making it, you know, reconciling with that and grappling with what a big deal it is. You are worthy. You are made worthy and being able to accept that. Yeah. It seems to be that some of the problem we get in and the fights we get in as we act and seek to do good, all of us, we bypass the sort of double woes in the very beginning. A, we don't we come at a social issue with a great deal of anxiety because we can't see the Lord seated on the throne, right? We don't get that. We're not convinced that, that he's in control, that he's gooder than us, that he's better than us. And so I know I felt that as a church planter. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't, yeah. don't you care, God? Why do I care more about these people than you do? That's Why aren't how it you feels, doing anything? Yeah. Right? And so yeah. you can come at it with a kind of anxiety. The other part is if you don't deal with the woe is me part, then the action, even the good that we seek to do, gets wrapped around our own insecurities. And we need validation from the things that we're doing and from people to recognize that we're doing the good, which can lead to sort of virtue signaling. It can also mean if it's, if it's more about us than about God, then we could just be pushing water uphill, right? Or we could do our own thing that we think is good that turns out not to be good, right? To be more damage than help because we're not tied to the one who is good and great, just trying to put together our own standards of goodness. Hmm. So it seems, you know, when you're doing, when you're on the airplane, remember that? When you used to be on an airplane <laughs> and they go like, in case of emergency, take care of yourself first mm-hmm. before you try to help somebody else. And in this case, it makes a lot of sense. Make sure that you're secure first with God. Whatever gaps there are, are closed. And so it's not so much about you, and it's more about trusting God and his greatness and glory that frees you up to choose to just say, here I am, do whatever you want. Yeah. And that will be tested. Right. But I think to get to that point of maturity is very challenging. You know, because not only does it mean that you're taking responsibility for your own spiritual well-being and your own relationship with Christ and saying, this is incumbent upon me. It's not anybody else's job. It's not the job of my spouse or my pastor or my friends. Mm-hmm. I, I have to seek wholeness and unity with Christ. That, that's incumbent upon me to pursue. And, and then just building up a, a practice, a habit of of being with the Lord and being in his presence and returning to him in moments of discouragement, you know? And I mean, that's challenging, especially when so much in the world around us compels us to do otherwise or tempts us to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some differences between Isaiah and the rest of us. 
just to be stated. So I can already imagine this. So we're not those, Old Testament prophets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Some of those Bible nerds are going, <laughs> right. oh, well, you know, that's pretty unique to Isaiah. And you're right. In, in the Old Testament, there are, there are three sort of offices or roles, prophet, priest, and king. And those are, those are anointed people. Those are people called for a specific purpose and a specific task at a specific time. And this is pretty unique to Isaiah, in this case as a prophet, and that we're not going to necessarily have the same vocation, um, not in the same way. Once Jesus comes, there is a, a generalizing of this call. He becomes that prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills all three roles. And then we get our vocation. Our mission then is tethered and tied to Jesus himself. And this will unfold as we go and, and talk about it over the next several weeks. But that's important to notice because in my sort of after sermon Zoom breakout room, there were comments about how difficult it is to know and have any confidence about how God is calling us to act. And I thought it's like this. It's like if you have a job, every job I've ever had had as a job description. Mm-hmm. And we used our friend Barb as an example. So she's working at Thrifties. Yep. And you don't have to think. In the job description, it says, when shelves are empty, restock them. <laughs> it's pretty, you don't it's have to keep going back given. to the manager yeah. and asking yeah. what to do. Well, are the shelves, re- shelves restocked? No, they're not. Just do the job description. Hmm. And in the sense that the, the most of the New Testament is outlining that job description, how to walk with humility, how to walk with love and peace and patience, what to resist, what to affirm, a bunch of things that are for all of us, which we then apply individually to each of our lives. Right. But also every single job I've ever had has that little clause at the very end that says, other duties as assigned. Do you know that sure. one? You're like, that's not my job description. And your manager's like, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> right at the very bottom. And that seems to be the part that allows for God to do something strange and extraordinary, maybe even sensational, possibly special kind of difficult for every person, where you, where you don't just rest on the job description of just generally being loving, but you say, God, how and what do you want me to do? I'm available for surprises and any extra duties you would have. And that applies to everyone. Every single person. Yeah. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. Yeah, Saturday was yesterday. Um, And she and her husband are church planters. And they're in the process now of trying to build a team, like trying to get together a group of people that could be leaders and, and, and work together and plant the church together. And she was saying to me, we just don't have the kind of leadership types that you look for. We don't have these really like dynamic, got it together, super Christian people. She's like, God keeps sending us all these kind of like broken and fragile and weak people. She's like, I just don't know how we're going to build this church. And in the process of our sort of conversation and prayer together, um, you know, we, we sort of discussed how, again, who is building God's church? It's, it's not us. We join him in his work, but he's building his church. And isn't God equipping all the saints all of us, not just people who are particularly healthy or have good family lives or have rather stable incomes. Like God is calling all of his people to participate. And I think 
sometimes in the church we we fall into this wrong, false assumption that, well, there's certain people that kind of have it together and they're equipped to lead, and then there's there's other people who are just there to receive. When the truth is, you know, for any of us who've been in the church for any length of time, there's moments when you are receiving because you have nothing to give. And then there's moments where you've got a lot to give and you're able to contribute to the life of the body and to the to God's mission. Um, I know that even for myself, even as a priest, there's been really weak moments in my life where, honestly, I don't have a lot to give. Um you know, I try to be faithful, but there's not a lot in the reservoir. And then I've had other periods of my life where, gosh, I've been so prolific and been able to contribute so much. Um, but that the life of a disciple is to continue in faithfulness to God, participating in the life and mission of the church. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's it's a life-long journey. And I mean... <laughs> You're just describing life like, and I think it's important to be realistic about that, that, you know, answering this call doesn't mean, it does mean a change, but it doesn't mean like, it's just a simplification, like it's just things are going to be in a small little box. Uh, Life continues to be complex. But again, I just point to that's, as we read what God offers us through the Holy Spirit, it is complex. The Holy Spirit has a lot of roles to help us in a lot of ways. And and it's turning back to His presence for help, um, which doesn't necessarily also mean everything's going to be A-OK. It can sometimes, that can be a painful process. Um, I think that's just, yeah, something to remember and can be scary to I remember think, hearing that again when I was at seminary and they're like, you're probably going to have to endure suffering as part of this journey um, in ministry. And I was like, I don't want to. My life's been pretty easy so far. That sounds terrible. No, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, yeah, things can be a little difficult at times, but uh, it's all part of the the refining process that going back to Isaiah, you know, refined by fire can be painful, but... And I think that's what so many of us are experiencing. Like, this whole year has been refinement, right? Yeah. Again and again, with the restrictions being piled on and changing, like, this continues to refine us. And hopefully, we will be found faithful at the end of it. But, you know, week to week, it's like, <laughs> we have to keep returning to God and saying, like, Lord, you gotta, you gotta help me get through this. Yep. That's been one of my prayers lately that he has mercifully answered, which is, do not let my leash be too long. Do not let me get too far from you, Lord. That's a dangerous prayer, by the way, if you're thinking about praying it, because that means you are going to be faced with all kinds of limitations, right? Because I just can't go very far before falling on my face. But I think that's always maybe the case, but asking it helps them be more aware of it or times where you you have made a commitment and there are these limitations and you're you're pressed to the edges God, I just can't go very far from God and be successful yeah. right and there is there is a dual reality of this where it's you kind of feel bipolar in some ways 
the things that we're doing, the things that we're doing for God are somewhat unique to us. And so we feel somewhat equipped, like you have a special kind of relationship with somebody or you're in a job that other people aren't in. But what is common is that the vocation of love, our mission is love, which is function, not just feeling. It's about how can I love people well? So an act of love is prepping for a sermon. (laughs) Struggling over that is actually an act of love and not just at its best and not just like trying to glorify myself and give some good rhetoric and feel like I just nailed it. It's actually to serve people. So, and that's common to all of our missions in life, relational and and work. Vocation of love, which we are all equally unfit to fulfill. Because my love has has its limits. That's the woe is me. So if I'm stuck, tied to God, I go, well, we both know that I'm uniquely, or not uniquely, I am unequipped to fulfill this vocation of love. Then I go, all right, well, then God, this is your business. If you want to use me, that seems foolish. Mm -hmm. But if you want to use me, I'm available. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to leave the results to you. It sounds a little bit melancholy, but for me, it's just frankly realistic. And it puts the burden on God to work and act through me, which is a tr- reduces a lot of performance anxiety, to be honest. Well, and in, by contrast, your role in that is to just keep returning to Him. Exactly. And I think a, a worry that I've had during this time for myself and for other people is that without the usual comforts of community— you know, we're we're not showing up. <laughs> we're not returning as much as maybe the normal patterns of life would encourage us to. You know, we're tr- we're trying. We're trying to stay connected to God and to each other. Um, but my hope would be that we we would just persevere. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the dangers of this time is that it does look more like Isaiah at times, who di- who, who who had a very solitary sort of mission. And we saw from the reading of 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, that the mission is now the body of Christ. It is multifunctional, and there's many different pieces to it, but we've had to sort of exist on our own with not a lot of support. So a lot of us have flailed from that as well. We haven't been able to, to, to lean on each other in the same way as prior. Yeah, let's pray and and transition out. There's more to be said, and we will over the weeks to come. So you want to pray us out? Sure, yeah. Thank you, Anna. Gracious Lord, thank you for the time to be together, even in this virtual way. Father, would you build in us perseverance that we would continue to return to you. Sustain us, Father. Keep us in the palm of your hand and encourage us as we work with you in the world. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.